has seen an advertisement that has convinced you that your microphone is listening to your conversations. All of your interactions, your credit card swipes, web searches, locations, likes, they're all collected in real time into a trillion dollar a year industry. The real game changer was Cambridge Analytica. They'd worked for the Trump campaign and for the Brexit campaign. They started using information warfare. Cambridge Analytica claimed to have 5,000 data points on every American voter. I started tracking down all these Cambridge Analytica ex-employees. Someone else that you should be calling to the committee is Brittany Kaiser. Brittany Kaiser, once a key player inside Cambridge Analytica, casting herself as a whistleblower. The reason why Google and Facebook are the most powerful companies in the world is because last year data surpassed oil in value. Data is the most valuable asset on Earth. We targeted those whose minds we thought we could change until they saw the world the way we wanted them to. I do know that their targeting tool was considered a weapon. There is a possibility that the American public had been experimented on. This is becoming a criminal matter. When people see the extent of the surveillance, I think they're going to be shocked. And I still fear for your life. Yeah. With the powerful people that are involved. But I can't keep quiet just because it'll make powerful people I, I, mad. Data rights should be considered just fundamental rights. This is about the integrity of our democracy. These platforms which were created to connect us have now been weaponized. It's impossible to know what is what. Because nothing is what it seems. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you, Han, for inviting me. It was awesome to run into you in Nevada. And I couldn't be happier to be here for Korea Blockchain Week. I've been coming to Korea since 2007. I absolutely love this country, and I come back as often as possible, so really happy to be here. I don't know how many people saw my talk yesterday. I just want to make sure I change it up for people that did. Okay, only a couple of people. Okay, great. That's really helpful. Awesome. Well, um, so I don't know how many of you uh, saw the film, but just to give you a little bit of a background, um, I'm here to talk to you today about the Own Your Data campaign that I started last April when I became a whistleblower on my formal, former employer, Cambridge Analytica, and Facebook as well and quite a lot of the campaigns and clients that were involved in many data breaches over the past many years. So what a lot of you guys here probably care about a lot because you work on distributed ledger technology are issues of transparency, of trust, of consent, and of data ownership and being rewarded for your activity and your content. Now, I started the Own Your Data campaign because, well, a lot of reasons, but the most valuable asset on Earth, as quantified by The Economist in 2017, is now data. Our digital assets 
have surpassed the value of oil and gas. So we are creating the world's most valuable asset every single day just by walking around with a phone in our pocket by using our apps instead of dApps. And somehow we have grown into a system of kleptocracy where all of the companies that are providing us this quote-unquote value, these free platforms that we're using, are stealing the most valuable asset that we produce. So there's a multi-trillion dollar industry going on in this world, and all of us, the producers of that asset, have no access to its value. So I started learning about this back in 2007, when I joined the Obama campaign as an intern. I was a 19-year-old, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed political activist and got really excited about learning about how to use data in order to get people engaged, to get people excited about something that I thought was important. How do you get young people to care about the environment, to care about healthcare, to care about the political process, and to want to, for example, sign up to vote for the first time? So I started to learn how to rudimentarily use data and also for the first time ever to use social media and politics. So when I joined the Obama campaign, no one was really using Twitter yet. We were still using things like MySpace and Bebo <laughs> and Flickr and YouTube. And we started to use Facebook. Um, I created Barack Obama's Facebook page and managed that and a lot of other early social media accounts. We started to, as I said, like in a very basic way, start to collect data about what people cared about. So if someone wrote in to Barack and said, you know, what is your idea about environmental policy, then you could put it in an Excel sheet that this is an individual that cares about the environment, right? And so we're going to start to write to them about environmental policy and what are all of the campaigns about the environment. And it was very basic. But eventually we started to build up enough data about people to start to build basic algorithms. And in the next campaign in 2012 was really when politics started to use advanced predictive algorithms. Now, um, over many of those years, I started to start to pay attention to blockchain technology. I always thought it was that Bitcoin was very exciting. I got really excited also when governments started to talk about it for the first time. I think in, in 2014 was the first time that, for instance, the European Commission started to talk about Bitcoin and whether or not countries could accept it as a value of, as a store of value, right? And uh, over those many years, I was not just a political activist, I was a human rights activist, and I started to hear about Bitcoin in the uh, activism community. People were, uh, people were working, for instance, on projects to bring North Korean refugees to safety through China, and when they were sending each other useful information, they'd tip each other with Bitcoin. So I was hearing about that when I was living in Hong Kong and working as a human rights activist, and I got very excited about it and continued to follow that. So many years later, in 2014, I'm writing my doctorate. I'm writing my doctorate on genocide prevention, on preventive diplomacy. So how can you use power, the power of presidents and prime ministers and ambassadors to stop war before it starts? And this ended up becoming a paper a lot about data. How could you use big data sets around the world in order to stop war before it happens? 
you have to build predictive algorithms and have access to people's data from all over the world in order to start to predict these things and intervene early enough to stop it from becoming a problem. No one in my law school could teach me about that, so I joined a company called Cambridge Analytica to teach me about how to use these things. Now, at the time, they were using data in order to, for instance, find individuals who are being recruited into ISIS online and keep them safe at home with their families. So do the counter-propaganda micro-targeting. So where, what are those data points where you can find out that someone's vulnerable to being recruited into a terrorist group? And I thought this is amazing. This is an incredible way to use data. Um, and there must be so many more ways that we can use data for good. Throughout my time between the Obama campaign and 2014, I worked for tons of different NGOs and charities and United Nations departments also doing data-driven communication. So my entire experience was data is a good thing. <laughs> and we can change the world by using data in the right way. Now, over the few years that I was at Cambridge Analytica, I found out that not everybody uses data for good things, right? and how easy it is for data to be abused. I spent so much of my time watching my colleagues buy and sell and trade data all around the planet while understanding that individuals probably don't know that either all of this data exists about them and that it's been collected and is being stored and traded in a multi-trillion dollar industry without any of our knowledge. Because I mean, I. Can you guys raise a hand if you've read terms and conditions of any app you've downloaded recently? Anybody? I went to law school for nearly a decade and I don't read them all the time. So. <laughs> I, I can totally understand if you, if you didn't. Uh, but this started to, to really bother me and it started to make me realize that it, this industry is totally unregulated. Anybody around the world can purchase data about you and you don't know about it. You have not been really properly informed because even if you read the terms and conditions, they're made to be confusing. So you don't know how much data you're actually giving away. So uh, during my third year at Cambridge Analytica, I started thinking, well, you know, there, there are some ways to fix this. I have some friends in the blockchain industry and I want to make more friends in the blockchain industry. I know that they're building solutions to this. So maybe I can start running a department in Cambridge Analytica where we're going to start using blockchain in our projects. And so that's what I started doing, um, but I started following the industry. I, uh, I ended up actually going to Ibiza for Brock and Crystal's second wedding, not to the wedding itself, but to meet everybody afterwards. And I met so many people in the industry that completely inspired me to realize that there is a way to solve a lot of the problems of the data industry. And the blockchain community is building loads of exciting things and I should get involved. So I spent the next couple months reading as much as I could, going to all of my first blockchain conferences. I went to D10E in San Francisco and then I was deeply in it from there forward. I did convince Cambridge Analytica to start a blockchain department and to start looking at building our own blockchain solution to bring transparency into the advertising industry and to also help people own their data. We were actually doing that for a bit and I thought, okay, this is, this is going really well. And then something really
really exciting happened. Uh, Brock introduced me to an amazing woman called Caitlin Long, and she was working with legislators in Wyoming to write the first ever real blockchain positive laws, laws that actually help the blockchain industry support it for us to be able to build our companies without being afraid we're going to just get subpoenaed by the SEC and have no idea when it's coming, right? Uh, laws that actually help people own their data or your digital assets or your intangible personal property. So after I got introduced to Caitlin, I started flying to Wyoming and getting a lot of other people to come with me so that we could sit and explain to all of the senators and members of the House there why blockchain is so important and why there are so many problems in the world that need to be solved by blockchain and why we need a legislative and regulatory framework that actually supports the industry. And if they decide to say yes and vote yes and go ahead with it, that they're going to see a massive increase in the amount of companies that will move to Wyoming and the amount of entrepreneurs around the world that will start coming in. So uh, eventually that, that did work. I mean, there are now 13 blockchain laws in Wyoming that are all absolutely amazing for people to build their companies in. And so there, there's, you know, countries like Korea that are now considering a lot of new legislation, regulation, and policy here can learn a lot from, from what's going on there. So uh, I know I, I, I kind of touched on this by starting with uh, the great hack intro, but after the first time I went to Wyoming, I actually quit Cambridge Analytica to go work there and help on the blockchain legislation and to go full-time into the blockchain industry. And uh, it was not too long after I started going to Wyoming that I became a whistleblower. And as I said, both my former employer and Facebook, because I realized how many things had actually gone wrong in the data industry that had caused things like massive political campaigns like Brexit and Trump where people's data was used against them. Instead of social media being used to bring people together, social media was being used to tear people apart. And instead of data being used to get people to engage in positive action, data was being used to get people to stay at home afraid of engaging in politics. And I didn't really want to stand for that anymore as I was traveling around the world going to blockchain conferences with really cool people like you that were building inspiring things and actually had good intentions for the world. So I, again, like went fully <laughs> headfirst into the industry to try to learn how to solve a lot of these problems. And I'm sure most of you, I I'm preaching to the choir here, but why should you guys care? Uh, you should care because right now these issues are the tip of the iceberg. Every single day, we're walking around producing the world's most valuable asset and we're not getting rewarded for it at all. And we keep on producing more and more data that other people are just exploiting and making money off of us. You know, uh, we, we've looked back in history and any time a population has owned a very valuable asset or a natural resource, where other people come in and steal it from them, we've looked back on that and said that's wrong and that should have never happened and now we have to pay reparations. We have to do something really big to make it better. And that's where we're getting today because every year or every day we're producing exponentially more data 
than the year before, than the day before, right? So before everything produces data, literally everything from our coffee machines to our refrigerators to our robot vacuum cleaners, <laughs> we need to start thinking about the basic data that we produce now as opposed to in the future and how we are going to lay the ground rules that we want our future to be built upon. Now, uh, how are we unprotected? One is that we don't own the, the data that we produce. And that's why I call my campaign Own Your Data because as much as I would love to say that data rights are human rights, it's very hard to protect human rights, but the law tells you exactly how you protect your property. Someone steals your car or your house, you can definitely sue that person and people go to jail. But with your data and with human rights, it's very difficult. It's really difficult. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> really, really hard. So I believe that our data should be like our property. In the state of Wyoming, your digital assets are your intangible personal property. So you own all of your precious blockchain tokens and if someone is to hack you and steal them, you can sue them and get them back. Right? That's a really, really important thing. So like if you and if you think about property in the same way that we think about physical property, if you want to share your data, then you can lease it like you would your house on Airbnb. So if you want to put your data up to share, if people want to use your data to profit off of it, then they should tell you who they are, what they want to use it for, how long they want to use it and they should pay you before you hand away the keys, right? And that should not be an argument any longer. I don't really understand why we have to ask for this. This should be something that has existed from the beginning of time. Now, my favorite conversation, lack of transparency. Um, so, uh, everybody's favorite social network. Um, I don't know how many of you guys are still on Facebook. I hate to say it, but I am. Um, you have absolutely no idea what data is being taken from you and what they're using it for and who they're selling it to. For many years, they had a developer program where over 40,000 developers around the world were able to take all of your data and the data of your entire network all of your friends who didn't consent to their data being taken, and that has now been bought and sold and traded around the world where, I'm sorry, but if you had a Facebook account before April 2015, your privacy doesn't exist and you're never getting it back. Mic drop. Um, <laughs> I really mean that, like you're never getting your data back. You cannot delete it from the hard drives around the world where it's stored, it's never coming back. So I'm only talking about the data we produce from now into the future, the data that our kids and our grandkids are going to produce, because our privacy, we cannot get it back. Those crimes have been committed against us, and there's not much we can do in terms of reparations. So it's really talking about building a brighter future, but we can't actually fix what's happened because of that guy. Anyway. Um, we have, we're all here because we work on building technology solutions where you can actually have transparency and consensual opt-in. I'm really excited about a lot of the advanced work done in smart contracting where if I want to say, here's all the data that I produce, here's who I'm happy to share it with and for what reasons. Like I might be happy to share my data with commercial advertisers that want to sell me cars and toothpaste, but I don't want to share it with politicians, right? I should be able to make that choice. 
and all the people that I do share it with get compensated for it. So this permission structures and traceability, I should be able to see where all my data goes, who holds it, and when I no longer want to give them permission, when I withdraw consent, be able to withdraw their access to my data. And monetization rights. Uh, again, as I said, like, we are the producers of the world's most valuable asset, so we should be rewarded for producing it and no longer have to beg for that. <laughs> Why is it such a big ask for us to have even a small sliver of the value that we produce in our data every day? No, it's not worth only $17 a quarter like Mark Zuckerberg likes to tell you that is a lie. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to go on too much longer uh, on all of the legal stuff, but I just want to say the reason why I find all of this so important is not just because a lot of us want our privacy, because I'm not actually a big privacy advocate. I actually believe in the future of AI and data science, and that if data is used for the right purposes, it can save the world. I think that we can cure rare diseases, we can stop the next mass shooting and even traffic accidents if data is used properly. But if we don't own our data and we don't have any permissions or tracking and traceability or the ability to monetize it for ourselves, then there's no way that I'm gonna start saying, let's share more data and use more data and create more advanced AIs because we haven't solved the simple problems first. So I'm not ready to go towards the future of AI and data science just yet. There's too many problems still to be fixed. Um, so yeah, sharing more data, I'd love to in the future, but let's fix these basic problems. So I'm gonna go a little bit through this. I'm not gonna talk to you guys about all of this legislation like I did yesterday. It's nice and fun, but um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you about how I believe we can solve these problems. Everyone here is pretty digitally literate, but one of my biggest projects right now is the Own Your Data Foundation, which I co-founded with my sister. We are working on, for, uh, working on digital literacy curriculums for students, for legislators and people in government, for people in companies, so everybody actually understands what their data is and how to protect themselves. You shouldn't really have to be a cybersecurity expert in order to know how to keep your data from going to a thousand companies a minute, right? Even though, especially all of you guys with Apple phones in the audience, like thousands of companies are accessing your data right now as you sit here. So thank God for the new blockchain phones that are coming out. <laughs> and uh, I also co-founded an organization called the Digital Asset Trade Association, DATA for short. Um, we're the first blockchain lobbying firm, and so we help the blockchain community connect with legislators to make sure that the laws and regulations that they make are common sense and don't stop us from building our companies, but make sure that people are still protected, investors and regular users and citizens. Brittany, going back to the DQ slide, just before, yeah, uh huh. So uh, um, it, it's kind of worth pointing out. So DQ has actually made. Uh, a consortium yes. with OECD IPA, and the World Economic Forum. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the World Economic Forum. So, yeah. so it, we actually call it the Coalition for, for Digital, Digital Intelligence. Intelligence. Exactly. Right. So I'm actually the CTO of DQ. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so happy.
I'm like tearing up right now. I want to work with you guys so badly. This is I like talk about DQ almost everywhere. Do you know who introduced me to DQ? Uh, Megan Smith, the uh, former CTO of the White House. Right. So yeah. DQ is actually the founder is actually a, a Korean. So really? She lives in Singapore. Yeah. So uh, what? The, yeah. So this is uh, amazing. <laughs> her name is uh, Park Yoon. So she's a Harvard PhD in education and a good friend of mine. So. Yeah. Yes! <laughs> yes! That's my biggest win of the week so far. <laughs> or maybe of like the year. Uh, amazing. Thank you. I'm uh, really, really excited about that. So for you guys that, that can't see the slide so well, DQ, like, like IQ or EQ means digital intelligence. And this is something that was introduced to me by um, Barack Obama's CTO of America. <laughs> so we actually started DQ. The reason was to evaluate and educate children to protect them in the digital world. That's the primary focus here. And we're establishing a uh, sort of a global standard for uh, measuring and assessing people's abilities and then using that to apply training. And we want to help you as much as we possibly can. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, well, great news, everyone. And uh, so this is the, the the last points that I want to make. Um, the some of the best things that I've seen in corporate thought leadership. I'm going to give a massive shout out to Voice.com. Actually, I'm going to put this down just so I can break that out. Yeah, yeah there we go. Social as it should be. Uh, so I was lucky enough to be invited to um, the B1 June launch event in, in DC uh, with Block One and like Brandon Bloomer and Dan Larimer and everybody that participated in that did a really great job of explaining why social media, which was made to connect us, has not actually been our friend and has instead completely driven us apart. And that's for a lot of reasons, actually. I would say data ownership and lack of transparency is number one. But secondly, the lack of KYC AML, while that's really good for massive adoption, it's really, really good for abuse as well. Which is why places like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook are full of fake accounts, are full of bots, are full of accounts that are either set up by AIs or terrorist groups or people that completely intend you harm. They intend to do harm and that's why they have set up fake accounts. And that's why social media has so many terrible ills. You know, bots that are harassing you, people that drive individuals to violence and suicide. I mean, it's a lot of really, really bad stuff. And that are, those are some of the massive issues that Voice uh, will be solving. I'm really looking forward to that launching specifically because we will have no fake accounts, specifically because you own the data that you produce in the platform, and because you get rewarded for that. You are paid in tokens for the data that you are producing because the platform is recognizing that you are creating the value. So you should share in the value that is created within the platform, and that's a beautiful thing. So I uh, couldn't be more excited that this has come out of the EOS community. I have so many friends in this community all around the world who have really like brought me in 
to the blockchain industry and taught me so much about what this is and where the future is going. So I do, I would like to say that when Voice does launch, I hope all of you guys get on the platform. I've openly said that I will try as hard as I possibly can to get um, as many people that are currently in my Facebook network to join Voice when it launches, and when I can get more than half of them, I will delete my Facebook account. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait till that day. Uh, so, thank you guys for listening to me, thank you guys for being here, and, uh, and yeah, um, if you guys want to get involved in some of the work that I'm doing, please write to me. Brittany at ownyourdata.foundation. Okay? Thank you so much.